Welcome to Series 2 of the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. I'm Leslie Goodburn and I decided to develop the podcast after the death of my husband Seth from pancreatic cancer. I wanted to help others understand the disease, its impact, the work that goes on every day to find treatments and hopefully one day a cure. Throughout the series you'll be accompanied by me and my friend Charlotte Foster from Charlotte Foster Productions and we'll talk all about the aspects of the disease from biology to emotional and physical impact. Along the way we'll meet patients, families, doctors, nurses, oncologists, researchers, lots of different people with varied and different interesting experiences of the disease. The podcast will be frank about the reality of the disease. They will show the commitment and dedication of people working to support a breakthrough in a cancer where survival rates have barely changed in the last 50 years. But they will also focus on the love, the community of support and personal stories of those whose lives are affected. So join us on our second journey of discovery via the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcasts, made in memory of Seth Goodburn. Welcome to this week's episode of the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. As you well know, November is, of course, Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. So we are upping the number of episodes you're going to be hearing across this month. Now, this episode, weirdly enough, there isn't actually that much talk about pancreatic cancer. Instead, you're going to be hearing from Lucy Watts. Lucy is a fantastic campaigner and... um, she somehow managed to get herself involved with Leslie. And as I know, and I'm sure lots of you know as well, once you get involved with Leslie, you don't say no to anything. I'll let Lucy explain the rest and let me know what you think afterwards. So hello, I'm Lucy Watts. I do patient leadership work, advocacy, consultancy, committee work and various other things. I'm 25 years old. I have a life-limiting illness myself. So much so, I wasn't expected to reach my 18th birthday, and I'm now 25, so I'm doing quite well. But, you know, over the years, things have kind of changed quite a lot. You know, I was born with health issues, but didn't get diagnosed. Got to my teen years, suddenly became seriously ill, round-the-clock care, so on and so forth. And it was only when I was about 16 that they finally told me that my condition was going to shorten my lifespan. And kind of spat it out in the conversation. Could have been better. But over the years since, it's really the hospice and the palliative care team have really helped my NHS team work with me around quality of life. So I think my team felt the absence of a cure meant there was an absence of good care. And it was like the hospice team were like, no, actually, if you focus on quality of life, you can still give amazing care. And so, yeah, it's pretty much me in a nutshell medically. Personally, you know, I enjoy walking my assistant's dog, Molly, who is a massive part of my life. She's amazing. And I enjoy spending time with my family. It's a making memories so lots of lots of stuff there um one thing you haven't mentioned and obviously this is a podcast based around pancreatic cancer you're a bit like me in that you haven't been affected directly with by pancreatic cancer but here we are talking on a podcast about pancreatic cancer what is your why it sounds terribly rude why are you involved in this then <laughs> so obviously i've known leslie and i've known seth's story and um Obviously, I've learned so much about pancreatic cancer from Leslie and from Seth's story. And then about two years ago, my uncle's wife, so my aunt, um, her dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. 
and if I hadn't known Leslie and I hadn't had all the information, I never would have been able to understand what her dad was going through and support my aunt in a different way. And it's not just about, I think when you understand the disease, what it's like, the prognosis, how it kind of progresses, I just felt like I was armed with a lot of knowledge that I could help her with. And I had that understanding to support her. So it kind of it was an amalgamation of, you know, my knowledge of palliative care from my own life and this information about pancreatic cancer from Leslie that kind of merged together to enable me to support her. And you're working with Leslie as well, aren't you? Uh, or as part of the partnership group at Hospice UK. Tell me about, about what that's all about, please. So we do a lot of different work. So we work with Hospice UK. We're all patients and carers. So quite a mix of experiences. So, you know, some people have lost people a long time ago. There's two of us which are patients. It's quite a mix of skills and different interests, but we all come together to think, you know, actually everyone should have access to good palliative and end-of-life care and hospice care. And the people that can change hearts and minds are us. Actually, you know, it's our stories, it's our knowledge, it's our information that actually is what makes changes in society. So we come together work with Hospice UK, get involved in lots of different projects and different work, such as the, the Hospice UK conference. And that is kind of our way of giving back and using our experiences constructively. And I guess a lot of people, when they think of a hospice, they think of old people, don't they? And here you are, a young, a very much a young person, and you're, you know, you're using the services of a hospice. What's, what's it like for, for you as a young person? So I was, if I explain a little bit, I was too old for a children's hospice by the time I was diagnosed as life limited but I'm incredibly blessed to live in Essex where we've got a young adult hospice at home service called the Jays Hospice and I was referred to them when uh, not long after my 17th birthday and they've been supporting me ever since. I think I'm the last of the originals that were referred to the hospice when it first started but they've been a big support in my life. The only problem is they're a hospice at home service so they don't have a building so when I used to have to access inpatient respite and inpatient hospice care, I used to go th- four hours away to a young adult hospice in Winchester. I live in Essex. That so is four hours to Winchester Because they're the only one that could provide inpatient care for young adults that also catered for my medical needs. Because the local adult hospices just don't have the skill mix with their staff to look after people like me. People like you, that sounds ominous, doesn't it? Yeah, people with very complex medical needs, perhaps is probably the best way to put it. <laughs> Um, but like you say, you've now sort of found the um, sort of been connected with Leslie, and you've sort of found out a little bit about pancreatic cancer. And how, you know, you say it has helped you. How has it helped you? I think it's just understanding a the condition itself, so lots of information about it, but the the patient experience aspect of that because it's all good and well. You can go on any website and learn about the symptoms, the signs, the diagnosis, the treatments, the tests. But actually, it's the personal experience and like through Seth's experience and other people with pancreatic cancer that I've connected through Leslie with. It's, I've learned so much about you know, the people behind the disease and how they learn to live with it and cope with the prognosis and live life to the full because that's what life's all about. And obviously, I know it through being a palliative care patient, but I don't have pancreatic cancer. I can't say what it's like for someone else. But Seth's story and the other stories that I've learned about since have really given me a different appreciation of actually, we might have very different conditions, but a lot of what we want out of life is exactly the same. And what is that? Just, you know, quality of life, good symptom control, 
the ability to live our lives right up to the end and to have the support around us that we need to do that. It's pretty much what everyone wants, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> everyone wants a good life and that's all we ask for. We just need a little bit extra help. So how important is it to you to keep spreading this message to people and to get that message out there? I think the, the patient experience is a really big thing because it's to counter all the medical side of things. I think it's really important that those patient stories and people understand the the people that live with conditions, including pancreatic cancer. I just think people, I wish people knew more of the signs and symptoms of pancreatic cancer because it is a silent killer and, you know, it's very non-specific in the early stages. And I just think, you know, the signs and symptoms on a website can come across cold and clinical, but actually when someone says, oh, actually, you know, I had X, Y, and Z symptoms and I went to the doctor and it took me six months to get diagnosed, people might actually think, hang on a minute, I've got those symptoms. That might be what I've got. And they can actually be empowered in a different way than if you're just giving them a medical leaflet with all the signs and symptoms on it. Yeah, and that's it, isn't it? It's about making it real and making it a, a reality. And say, what, But also at the same time, it's not saying you know, every time you have an issue doing this, you've got pancreatic cancer or you've got whatever. But just having it in your head, it's one of those things we all know, to, as women especially, know how know we should be checking our breasts. Men know they should be checking all different parts of themselves as well. It's And it's become it's making it a habit, isn't it? And it's that reality. So, yeah, it's that awareness and raising it up for everybody. Yeah, and I think just empowering people to be more in control of their own health and to monitor their own body in lots of different ways. You know, it's not just breast checks and everything like that. Actually, knowing what your normal is is really important. Yes, and not being afraid to say the word normal either and say this isn't normal, <laughs> you know, because I think people yeah. get a bit worried and go, oh, normal, is that an okay word to use these days? What is normal? <laughs> yeah, but normal for you, you know what is every day for yourself. You're not comparing yourself to anyone else. You're actually saying, hang on a minute, that symptom's not normal or this sign's not normal or I haven't really felt well for a little while. I've not felt like my normal self. Actually, when it's talking about yourself, you know what is your everyday experience. And when something differs from that, you're able to kind of think, hang on a minute, there must be something going on. Yeah, but it is quite scary, isn't it? If you're that person saying, well, hang on, this isn't right. You, you, I don't know if you're like me, you go onto Google and uh, you've diagnosed yourself with everything in, in, in the world. Dr. Google is almost as good as Dr. Foster, uh, if I'm being absolutely honest. Well, uh, I always laugh because I just think if I, when I Google, if I Googled my symptoms, I think about a million conditions would come up because it's, obviously my condition is very rare and it, it encompasses lots of different symptoms and signs. And it's just like, they, they don't know what my condition is, but you know, you can imagine how many how many different conditions I could find that would label myself, and it would terrify me. But so I try to stick away from Google as much as possible because it does tell you the worst case scenario all the time. But I just think other people's stories have really benefited my journey. And that's it. That's kind of what the podcast is all about as well. It's hearing those stories and hearing people. And we do hear positive stories as well as the the sadder stories as well. And that to me is just as important because people need to know that you know all the outcomes that are possible as well. Um, for you, this might sound a strange question. Um, certainly, I know that obviously we've been talking to lots of people who've been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and I've sort of said to them, how how do you go beyond the diagnosis? How do you become back to who you are? So how do you become back to being you know, Charlotte or how do you become back to being Lucy? So for you, is it hard both in the medical profession and outside for people to see Lucy rather than Lucy with all her complex needs? It is, and I, I really feel like people forget that I'm a person, like a multifaceted person with lots of different dimensions to me. And I think also medicine separates you into individual body parts. And I think for so long, I kind of saw myself in a medical lens. 
it's so much my life was so medical that I even saw it that way and it was only when the hospice came on board when I was 17 they brought me back to Lucy the person and they helped other people see Lucy the person when they were caring for me rather than Lucy the patient and that was very empowering to actually think hang on a minute you know I, I am Lucy the person and my hospice nurse asked me you know she did my end of life plan and she said so what do you want to do now and I was thinking no one's ever asked me what I want to do and it changed my life. That one question changed my life because I got started in my voluntary and advocacy work all because someone asked me the question of what I wanted. So that's changed your life then, that it's one question? Just, that one question has transformed my entire life from something that was just stuck in bed at home with no life, no future and no hope to planning for the future, even though I might not have one. And I think when you're told you're not going to live to your 18th birthday, you stop planning for adult life. And I think my work's taught me, make plans, aim for the future. If the plans change, well, then they change. But at least you're, you know, driving towards a future that might be there. Because if I didn't plan for the future, you know, I'm 25, I wasn't supposed to make 18. If I didn't make plans, my life would just be waiting to die and actually making plans is helping me to live. You can, nobody should be waiting to die, should they, really? That, that's no life. Um, no, it's not. Tell me a little bit about the advocacy and voluntary work that you do then, because, you know, you, you, you're very rarely quiet, are you, in the nicest possible way? No, no, I'm not. I, and I, I love what I do. So it all started with a speech in, in the House of Commons, of all places. Um, so my hospice nurse put me forward for this speech. And when I was asked, I'd never given a speech before. And I think if you said to my teachers and my mum and stuff like that when I was a child she'll be giving speeches in future they would have absolutely laughed because it was just the furthest thing possible from Lucy that they knew but I think I felt so like I want to do it and I did it and I must say I didn't I read my speech rather than spoke and I was hiding behind my paperwork but I delivered my speech and I put those papers down and the whole room erupted into applause and it was like suddenly after years of floundering I'd found out who I was and where my place was in the world and since then, yeah, as, as one of my colleagues put it, you know, they got me start, they started me talking and now no one can shut me up. So <laughs> I've, I started all this work and now no one can kind of put me back in a box. But I have a, an amazing life and I get to do so many things from sitting on NHS committees like the NHS Assembly to working with hospice and palliative care organisations, doing media work, written work, um, sitting on lots of different boards um, outside of the NHS realm in you know, Hospice UK board, charity boards. I do so much work, but it gives me a purpose and it enables me to use my experiences constructively. And I think what's nice as well, I do a lot of international work in palliative care. And it's so nice to be coming from a place of, I have amazing care, do more of this, rather than this went wrong, don't do that. Yeah, and positivity breeds positivity, doesn't it? It does, it really does. And it's nice when you come from a positive sense of, I have amazing care, we need to try and try and match this all around the world, so as opposed to trying to beat people into submission over don't do this because it went wrong. It was. It's a really nice way of being able to say, hang on a minute, you know, despite everything that's going wrong, I have amazing care and everyone should have that. Replicate it, don't, yeah, absolutely. I set up a palliative care patient and carer network for palliative care voices, and we are looking for people to join who have experience of palliative and end-of-life care and of life-limiting illness who perhaps might not have been able to access palliative care. We want to bring an international network together. We've got about 70 members, and it would be great if people could spread the word, look us up, have a little think about it, and perhaps join the network and help us make sure that everyone around the world has access to palliative care. 
Do you think people are a little bit scared of palliative care because of what it is and what it what it ultimately leads to? Yes, but I think it's a misconception because palliative care is not end-of-life care. Palliative care is an approach to care. Yes, it encompasses end-of-life care, but actually it's about living life right, right up to the end. And some people, you know, have palliative care and then go on to perhaps have treatment for cancer and then go off with their life. You know, it's it's not palliative care is only for people that are dying, but that's how people see it. And the only stories you hear in the news about palliative care are the people that, oh, they've gone for palliative care and then they died. And I just think, you know, palliative care is about making you live well, whether that's, you know, throughout your cancer treatment or it's support you through your life and end of life, you know, it's there to make sure that your quality of life is paramount. And if people want to get in touch with you about that, is there a good way of getting in touch? If you go onto my website, www.lucy-watts.co.uk, and we've got palliativecarevoices.org, which is our Palliative Care Voices website. Also, I'm not going to let you go without talking about your MBE. Yes, uh, yeah, so that was quite, enough. quite a shock, I must admit. When I got the letter, it said, you know, if you're agreeable, we'll nominate you to the Queen to receive an MBE. And my mum thought that meant that I'd been nominated and not got it. So she wouldn't believe <laughs> that I'd got an MBE. And it's only when the Cabinet Office phoned a couple of weeks ago, she was like, oh, oh, she's actually getting an MBE. But that was the most amazing experience. I still I still get letters addressed to Lucy Watts MBE and go, oh, that's me. <laughs> and it's like it's three years on now and I, I still can't quite believe it. But I think that MBE for me is not just mine. It's for all the people that have got me to where I am. So the hospice, my teachers, my tutors, my family. You know, it is a team effort. Yeah. And I really do see that, you know, that was I was doing the work, but actually it recognises all the people that have enabled me to get to that point as well. So your mum was was proud of you, but you were proud of you. I mean, what does it feel like getting the the actual uh, the actual medal itself? That was a fantastic day. I really, I, I don't know if I quite knew what to expect of the day. And obviously went up there, and when I went up to get my MBE, obviously drove up to the stage in my wheelchair, and he, uh, Prince Charles stepped off the stage to be at my level, and he talked to me in a way that. You know, I felt he'd be very much far removed and very kind of like, I'm Prince Charles and you're just some kind of nobody. But he talked to me like person to person, like he was respecting me and he knew what I'd done. He obviously knows what each person has done in that, in that, um, that day's awards. And we just talked for about two minutes and it was the most amazing two minutes of my life. And I can never really forget some of the things he said. I mean, he just kept saying, keep up the great work. He complimented my wheelchair, which is quite that's a very, very fabulous wheelchair that's £22,500, so I'm glad he complimented it. And he just talked about my work, and he talked about me, but he made me feel like I was the only person in the room, and I think that's something that's really hard when there's hundreds of people in that room that day. To feel like you're the only person there is really special. That's amazing. And how just something as simple as stepping off the step to be your your height, just the, the, the what difference that makes and the, the what that says as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that was just the sign of respect. Yeah. You know, I respected him and he respected me. And, you know, that was a wonderful, a wonderful experience. I just didn't feel like, you know, he was Prince Charles and I was just somebody. We were two individuals that, you know, had earned where we were. Thank you so much to Lucy for giving me her time to talk to us here on Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcasts. Really interesting to hear her perspective as well as someone who has been or is going through the hospice system and someone who has a life-limiting condition 
and just making sure that you are dealt with as a person and not as somebody with a condition or or the condition itself. So I think there's some really good um, tips there from Lucy. If you want to be part of the groups that she mentioned, don't worry, we will have those links on the show notes so you can... um, get in touch that way remember as well you can also get in touch with us here at purple rainbow pancreatic cancer podcasts by going on the purple rainbow.co.uk website and big thank you as always to our sponsors we cannot do these podcasts without your donations and we are eternally grateful that that you do want to contribute to the to the podcasts it makes all the difference in the world and this podcast has been sponsored by chris mitchell and tracy aldous so thank you very much to both chris and to tracy for your donations it means the absolute world and it means that we can spread this message as far as is humanly possible which is what we all want So thank you very much for listening. We'll be back uh, very, very soon with the next episode of Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast.